Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. We are recording on a Wednesday afternoon, a bit later after the Easter weekend and the bank holiday. I am your host. My name is Stephen Railson, of course, and I'm joined by my colleague, Samuel Luckhurst, who was at the game at the weekend against Everton, a 2-0 win for Manchester United. But of course, we've got Sevilla on Thursday, so we're going to dissect the happenings from the Everton game and we're going to look ahead to Sevilla and have a bit of chat in between. Um, there was some good quotes from Tenog's press conference this afternoon and uh, Samuel was down at Carrington as usual and Samuel, was that your car in the ditch outside Carrington or was it someone else's? Fortunately, <laughs> it wasn't. No, it's, it definitely wasn't and uh, it, it wasn't... I, I, I think they were... Fortunately, the chap who ended up in there, he, he walked out. So uh, although there were a lot of uh, sirens and a lot of vehicles and apparently there was a helicopter as well, that that must have just been the um, uh, the automatic response to to an incident in that area. I'm not too sure why, but it sounds like nobody was was remotely hurt. Never mind seriously hurt. So that was the main thing. But it did allow some of us to take the uh, the, the other entrance into Carrington, which I've I've never done before. I, I thought I was heading towards the the, the National Trust at Dunham <laughs> Massey, but there's a there's a slight left you take and. In about a minute's time, you're at, you're at Manchester United's training ground. Do any of the kids ask you for your autograph on the door? Because when I've been there, in my little Renault they, they Clio, always, they don't stop they, for me. They always have their they shirts. They don't stop for me. <laughs> they always have their shirts out and their their books, even for my... I, I mean, I think I've got a rel- relatively modest car, uh, but they, they it's it's easy how um, how impressionable uh, that you can you can make them. I think any car that drives past, they'll they'll hope in vain that it, it, it could be someone of, of note and... It, you know, there's still the occasional player who, who needs to get a lift in, uh, usually academy players. And uh, I think Giuseppe Rossi, when he was travelling, when he was going to Carrington training with United, he was he was still getting a cab in. So, uh, the drivers, <laughs> you know, you've got to keep your eyes peeled for them. There might be someone famous in the back seat. You never Not know. a nice day for it, man. Chucking down with Rian, as we just mentioned before we came on air. Yeah, uh, but we'll, we'll quickly jump into the weekend then, Samuel. Obviously, we are recording a bit later this week, but uh, a win against Everton, a second win in a week, which was fantastic after the Newcastle defeat. Obviously, a win against Brentford, then against Everton. And what a first half performance. I mean, I got the game all wrong. I thought it was going to be tight, cagey, a 12.30 kickoff. So often the atmosphere isn't that good. It takes a little bit of time to get going. But they had 21 shots in the first half, the most on record uh, since, I think, 2003 or 2004, since records began. And Samuel, the only criticism really from that first forty-five minutes was there should have been what three 0 four 0 up at half time. 
yeah, you summarised it perfectly there. We we could move on just <laughs> from from your little um, succinct summary. Uh, they they were so dominant, United, and I don't think you were the only one who was expecting Everton to be a bit tighter, to be more compact and more, more obdurate, but they weren't remotely. Uh, I'm not quite sure why specifically they were so poor after doing so well against Tottenham because it's not like that that United game came around really quickly. They had a five-day gap between games United had played on the Wednesday, so Everton should have been fresher, arguably. I suppose the, the Godfrey selection was... It, it worked to an extent against Spurs, but it's still odd playing a centre-back who has played at right-back at left-back when he is not remotely uh, a left-back, and United preyed on that, Anthony did in particular. It was a strange game Anthony had because I thought he played very well uh, in the first half, just didn't get the goal, and he was pretty unfortunate to, to be substituted when he was, but he, the guy who came on and, and replaced him got the goal that effectively killed the contest once and for all. But the the standout aspect of the performance was 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 the first half performance, as, as you said, since the 03-04 season, United have never had that many attempts on goal in the first half, and it did feel like it that there there had been 21 attempts peppered at, at Jordan Pickford's goal. Pickford had to make some saves, but I don't think any of those saves were necessarily laudable or or, or good, or that he had no no right to save a certain uh, a certain shot. He, he should have been preventing every one of them from going in. And he was just vigilant. United were, were far too profligate. And I suppose it was quite apt that it was a defensive-minded player or certainly a player playing in a defensive-minded role who who got that goal because that's been the story of United's season. That um, that They are too profligate. Goals are hard to come by. But the difference is, and this is the crucial aspect, wins are not hard to come by. They do usually find a way and that's why they are where they are. But it's also why the goal difference is as... Uh, I think underwhelming is probably putting it politely. Is it plus seven or plus eight now after last week? Uh, I think it's still plus seven. So that's why they want a goal scorer. Everybody's well aware of that. And uh, it probably does add valuation onto whichever striker they, they go for. When you look the at the summer. chances they're created, I mean, if you have someone like Harry Kane up front in that first half, it probably would have been 5 0. So many chances, and the finishing was really poor. I mean, fair play to McTominay because it was a, a tidy finish at the front post. Obviously, good play from Sancho to, to yeah, set him up. Well, if we look at that midfield, Samuel, there were some changes again. Obviously, Fernandez was playing a deeper role like he did against Brentford, and I, f- I was a bit surprised personally when I saw that to begin with. But he's really excelled, hasn't he, in the last last week in that role? Um, Sabitz has played in the number 10, he's been a bit of an attack and threat, and we've probably seen the best of him now as well. So, what did you think about that role? Because Ten yeah. described it as initiating play, and he really did that against Everton didn't he yeah he used that word I think after the Brentford game and he was far more spectacular with the way he he conducted United's play against Everton because it was a far it was a more expansive performance the Brentford game United probably had three three chances over the course of, of 90 minutes it felt like there weren't many opportunities in the game whatsoever there were two standout chances one for Rashford and one for Kevin Shader when he had his one-on-one with De Gea so when the team are creating more opportunities and the goalkeeper's a lot busier then the good work of the guy who's you know conducting the orchestra is is going to be noticed is a lot more and it's you know, Ten Hag may rue that he, he he settled on that that balance as belatedly as he did in that maybe if Fernandez was deep and Sabitz was further forward 
against Newcastle, United would have avoided defeat in that game. Uh, not necessarily, not necessarily won because Newcastle were excellent on the day, and it was still a midfield that was always going to miss Casemiro for that occasion against a, a player as as influential as Bruno Guimaraes is, and he was he was man of the match, rightly so, at St James's Park. But it it certainly might have. Uh, tempered the way United performed and they performed pretty wretchedly looking ahead to the Sevilla game Tomney wasn't training today uh, it's, it is believed to be a, a medical issue United haven't said uh, whether they will say is another matter given how coy Ten Hag has been with, with injury news with the, with Luke Shaw's withdrawal last week and also Marcus Rashford's as well I mean nobody at United has still officially acknowledged it's, it's a groin injury that Rashford ag- aggravated and Tens of thousands saw him clutching his groin. Goodness knows how many more did on television as well. But if McTominay is unavailable for the severe game, it, it does, you know, it, it, to to an extent, it solves solves a problem for Ten Hag because having bit having the mid having seen the midfield be an embarrassment at Newcastle, United you know, have got an embarrassment of riches. And I'd always argue that Casemiro has to start because he's been their player of the season for me, and he's the one who brings balance. He's he is the outright defensive midfielder and he's he's probably also the best passer of the ball in that team. Uh, Fernandes has to start because he always starts and he, he's been very good this season. But that other position is is a dilemma. Do you play Fernandes as, as high up as he usually plays or do you try and uh, go off the mode of, of the momentum of him playing from this deeper role where he played reasonably well against Brentford and then he was absolutely brilliant against Everton at the weekend? And of course, it also brought out the best in Sabitza. I thought Fernandes and Sabitza were United's two best players against Everton. And that really does reflect well on the manager as well, that he's actually had the foresight to switch those roles around. Um, another, obviously, big selection, Samuel, a big talking point, sorry, should I say, was Harry Maguire coming in in central defence. Um, Varane was on the bench. Um, were you surprised at that? And I guess, we, have you been surprised that Tenog's handling of the centre-back situation over the last six months? Because I think at the start of the season, Victor Lindelof was considered third choice and he played a lot of the cup games and, uh, and some of the Europa League games. And then all of a sudden, over the last two months, maybe three months, sorry, Maguire's kind of come into the team. Tenog's been impressed by him and, and Lindelof's kind of slipped to fourth, hasn't he, in the pecking order? So what did you think of his performance? It was just a competent display, wasn't it, really? It was. I mean, Everton didn't offer much of a threat. It's it's not been a surprise when Varane has come out of the gate out of the team in certain games because Ten Hag has managed Varane very well this season. He's just had the one significant injury, which was an impact injury the way at Chelsea in, in in late October, I think. And so, I mean, Varane obviously didn't play very much at all in in pre-season. Then he didn't start the season. Didn't start in the first two games, and you're wondering. Crikey, is, is he the fourth choice centre-back? That, I mean, that, that would have been <laughs> very not. very bizarre. But at, at one point, it did seem to be the case. And then Lindelof got injured at the start of the season as well. Usually, Lindelof gets his reasonable quotes of games across a, across the nine months of the campaign that means that he ends it re- reasonably content and or happy. That's not been the case this season. And there has been a shift since uh, the season resumed after the World Cup. And... That was that was a setback for Maguire because he did pretty well with England. He came back to United, and I think he contracted a virus while he was out in Qatar. Uh, a few a few people did as well. I mean, it's, it's not a surprise you go from one one temperature to another. Travelling as well, it's bound to happen. But 
Maguire, I think he started in his last 10 starts, United have won them all, which is, is something he was quite keen to tell um, colleagues in the mix zone on, on Saturday. When you look at those opponents, I think only one team was in the, the top half of the table uh, when when that game took place, and that was Fulham in the FA Cup course final. And of course, Maguire rather memorably got turned by Alexander Mitrovic, who's not exactly known for being the most felt of players or the, the quickest of players, and, and Maguire got booked. And also Fulham were, were the better team for 70 minutes that day until William turned goalkeeper. But I think in terms of the actual dynamic of Maguire and Lindelof, it's it's getting to the point now where you, you half wonder whether United are, are looking at Lindelof as is he the more sellable asset? Is he the easier is, is he the one who's easier to shift in the summer, even though his playing style does feel more aligned with, with Ten Hag? There've been opportunities to play him. Betis away last month was a classic classic opportunity. I'd have thought it was a game that was right for Lindelof and he didn't start. Maguire did and then Maguire kept his place for the next game because Varane was was injured and the way it's shaping up it would be it would be a surprise if Maguire and Lindelof are both United beyond the summer transfer window United have looked at Maguire and deemed him a, a sellable asset and I don't think Maguire's necessarily going to be pleased with how his season has gone unless there's a drastic shift between now and and the end of it uh, because he's lost his first team place. I don't think anybody is expecting him to be starting against Sevilla. And to regain it, it would have to be through uh, an injury to a teammate. And earlier in the season when that happened, it was Lindelof who came in. And there was, I think it was the second leg of the League Cup semi-final when United were obviously 3-0 up from the first leg against Forest and Maguire didn't start in that. And in the first leg, nobody knew until the squad arrived that Maguire was suspended for it he had become that borderline and irrelevance in the United side that the United captain's unavailability for a game literally wasn't being picked up anywhere it wasn't even on the official EFL website but Maguire is starting to play a little bit more of late whether I, I still doubt how long that can go on for because although United are going to be playing games every three or four days, pretty much from now until the end of the season. And their season, it, the end of it, that could be, what, the 28th of May or the 31st of May, or it could be the 3rd of June, depending on if they get to any of the finals. So Maguire will get other opportunities, but every every team has got something to play for at the moment. When I was looking at United's running the other week, I thought maybe Villa at home could be a gimme and all of a sudden Villa have won three or four games on the spin and the seventh in the table I think aren't they I think they're above yeah, Liverpool it's a tremendous moment. job Emery yeah yeah and so you can't really take your chances against anyone uh yesteryear you could do you could change the team up a fair bit and the quality would be ample enough that they United would turn up and they just routinely uh, see off the side very very comfortably and even against Everton the week weekend, which was possibly the best performance overall under Ten Hag, they only won two nil. And as Ten Hag said himself, when when it's one nil up, anything can happen. There's still that element of jeopardy. And at two nil, in hindsight, should he have taken Rashford off? Shouldn't he? Uh, you could see where he was coming from, saying that he wanted to keep him on. But there have been a number of occasions this season where Ten Hag has kept a player on, and he's got away with it when he probably at that time should have taken him off uh, I mean Christian Eriksen when he did 
really got injured by Andy Carroll. It was no one's fault but Carroll's. But you were wondering, why is this player who literally came back from the dead less than two years ago and has played a hell of a lot of football already this season at a much more intense level? Why is he playing in the second half against of a cup tie against the championship side? So Ten, Ten Hag has been reluctant to rotate, but I think gradually he's starting to realise that because it's such a taxing season, there have to be times where you do take a player out of the firing line. He's done that with Varane. Marshall's not really been in the firing line because he's still not starting games. That might change on Thursday night. But there has to come a point where with certain players, you've got to... You, you have got to wrap them up in, in cotton wool. And I think against Betis last month, Casemiro could have got suspended for the first leg of the quarterfinal, but he actually played played out the whole game. And maybe Ten Hag was looking at that thinking it's it's, it's useful for Casemiro because he's not going to be playing very often at all in domestic games. But still, you are you do run that risk. And I think Ten Hag is... he's, he's clearly got thick enough skin to take any criticism that that might come his way but Rashford has played a hell of a lot of football this season there have been games where he's not really necessarily had to play in something I've noticed throughout the season is Tenog's English has actually improved which you would expect obviously living in Manchester from his first uh, unveiling press conference to now and maybe just maybe he's picked up a dictionary and he's found the word rotation and he's starting to listen to it a bit more. So hopefully for next season, because there has been times, as you say, Samuel, that it's almost seemed absurd not to rotate. Um, Casemiro comes to mind against Nottingham Forest in, in the League Cup when he played, and it might have should have rested yeah. him in my opinion. But fair play, that's his, that's his style, and it's it's bringing success, and it's you know it's bringing results. So who am I to question it? I suppose. Um, we'll end there for part one, and we'll be back in a moment for part two. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So Samuel, I said the only negative from the Everton game was the finishing, but that was in the first half. And of course, Marcus Rashford went down, I think around 80 minutes, 10 minutes to play, um, as we've just discussed earlier, with a, with a groin injury. And he looked in some quite discomfort, uh, hobbled around the pitch, had a word with Ten Hag. 
went down into the dressing room. Now, scans have subsequently revealed he's going to be out for a few weeks, quote-unquote, and there's uncertainty about his availability. Was it a few, few games, games rather than yeah. weeks? Is that, is, is that not a few weeks? I'm thinking. The direct quote was a few games, you're right. But I'm interpreting that as a few weeks, definitely. And, and that's the kind a of few, thing I'm getting. A few games you're... in the literal sense would be, we discussed this, this earlier, week. <laughs> would, be three, <laughs> would be three games and it's like, oh, he's got, it's an injury boost. He should be fine for the FA Cup semi-final. But yeah. literally nobody wrote that because few is a very, very ambiguous word. Yeah, it's very loose. And he, he stayed coy, didn't he, when he was pressed about it at the press conference, and that was deliberate, really. Um, but Rashford's obviously scored 28 goals this season, Samuel. He's been responsible for 35% of the team's goals. You've got some key fixtures coming up. Sevilla in the Europa League, as we'll come on to. Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final, which, as we've just said, possibly could be out for. Um, can this team score goals without Marcus Rashford? Because for me, it's a huge, huge concern when you look at those attacking players who really haven't delivered this season in the kind of form that they probably should be. Well, the uh, the, the good stat on that, which was again provided by Ian Whittle at the weekend, was that the weekend win was the first time United won in the league without Rashford scoring since Fulham away in November, uh, which, of course, was the last game before the World Cup. So that's how dependent they've they've been on him. I mean, I've I've counted 13 winning goals from, from him this season, and the winning, the use of the word winning, it's a little bit loose. I mean, he, it would be him getting the first goal in a 3-0 win, but if his isn't the winning goal, whose is the winning goal? You know, that's, so that's <laughs> the way I was looking at it. But that... That that knack is extremely impressive, and he has won United uh, several points this season. And uh, they will be hoping if if it is a few games, if that is the literal definition of few, and it is three, then that's that's not too bad at all. But I suspect it will be uh, more than that because you you don't want to you don't want to aggravate it, you don't want to rush it. Uh, obviously, they've they put that statement out before the press conference in the hope that it might at least reduce the the severity of of the news coming out maybe and and maybe limit the number of questions on him there are so many questions you can ask about a player who's been ruled out for a few games and the the severe games United should be able to get through without him because severe just so poor this season I know they've got great Europa League pedigree but United fortunately for them are drawing worse and worse teams in from Spain in, in the Europa League. They they got the best in Barcelona, then it was fifth best in Betis. Now they've got a bottom half team in Sevilla, so they really should be getting to the semi-finals with or without Rashford. Marshall's goal-getting, in I mean, he's got seven in 17, which is pretty decent, and I'm sure his aficionados will say how he, he needs the fewest minutes to score uh, out of the whole, that's what Ten Hag said. That's what Ten Hag said what, at the press was, conference, didn't he? I know. He? I know. He sounded like <laughs> he sounded like one of these, um, you know, rather puerile fans who, uh, who who support the player rather than the actual the actual team. Yeah. And Marshall has got this rather rabid following. But the problem with Marshall is that he's played in seventeen out of forty nine games all season. And the way Ten Hag spoke about him again today. I would not necessarily be confident of him starting tomorrow because there clearly is still a reluctance to start him. He said he was a, he was fine to start against Everton last week, and uh, but because of the way they played against Brentford, they were happy to go ahead with with the same front four, and that was vindicated because United should have had enough chances to win a month full of matches, but they only scored one in the first half. Uh, 
I mean, we when we asked Ten Hag of this question of the of the poor goal scoring record, you know, as this is, and it is a poor goal scoring record. You only have to look at the goals for column and the goal difference column in the Premier League, and he always mentions names. He'll say Sabitzer so can get a goal, Sancho can, Fernandez can, Anthony can, and we we take that point absolutely, but. Rashford is on 28 goals. The next high scorer is Fernandez on 10. Then I think you've got jointly Anthony and Anthony Martial on 7. And the fact that Martial has tallied that number whilst missing so much of the season, it reflects pretty well on him, but it also reflects pretty badly on teammates who really need to be getting higher numbers. I mean, there was a he gave a very good answer on Anthony today, uh, Ten Hag, when he talked about how he we'll killed come on ben to that Godfrey at the yeah, weekend we'll yeah and but and and I've I think he's actually played pretty well the last couple of games and he was certainly very unlucky to come off against Everton at the weekend but he hasn't scored in the Premier League since October uh, when he, he scored in his first three league games against Arsenal City not and, and Everton the, the last of course was was against Everton so Although he scored important goals in the Europa League against Barcelona, and which was one of the highlights of the season for United so far, and, and Real Betis as well, which was a, a brilliant goal and a, a very important one as well. He he does need to start getting to that level where certainly next season, United have got to be looking for about 15 goals from him minimum. But his goal-scoring record always at Ajax was pretty modest, and that was one of my reservations about United going for him. But he's got good character. Um, he's, he's clearly got a good rapport with Ten Hag, and I think it helps us when when we ask Ten Hag about him. Having, I think, where he managed him at Ajax, he maybe feels like he can give a bit more, give a, a get a bit more about him, about his character, about what what makes him tick. So, uh, I mean, time will tell whether United are as reliant on Rashford as everyone thinks they are, or whether they've they've got the. Um, they've got the gumption to get through games without him. I suspect they just about have, because as I said, although goals have been hard to come by this season, they have more often than not found a way of getting the win. Very interesting player, Anthony, and we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Um, I mean, his performances recently, as you've just said, I think they've gradually improved. He was unfortunate to be taken off against Newcastle and unfortunate to be taken off at the weekend. Um, but there has been frustrations from support as, I guess, his style. Um, his failure yeah. sometimes to take on the fullback is frustrating. He always cuts inside, which we know he has preference for with that left foot. And it obviously already has become predictable. He scored seven goals, Samuel, as you just said. He's got one assist during his time here. Um how would you assess his first season? Because you you look at him, I mean, it's his first season in England. He's still rel- relatively young. So you don't want to be too harsh and you've got to take his first season with a pinch of salt probably. But it was a huge transfer fee that was invested into him. And United really needed him to hit the ground running, didn't they, this season, considering the, the attacking options were, were depleted after Ronaldo. And, you know, there was a serious lack of goals. And they could have done with Anthony scoring a, a few more. And especially in the Premier League, as you said, and Ten Hag said today, it was Barcelona or in the Europa League, he's done well. But in the Premier League games, with the exception of his first week or his first few weeks in Manchester, he's been quite poor in that regard, hasn't he? He's a work in progress, which, if you're a 22 yeah, no year old, right. that's 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 fair enough. The, the issue Anthony has is that Manchester United paid massively over the odds for him. There was at one point in the summer where Ajax were adamant that they wouldn't sell him for anything under, uh, sorry, that they wouldn't sell him anything under 60 million euros, and of course United ended up agreeing a fee with add-ons of 
100 million euros, it was 85 and a half million pounds. So United got pretty desperate. You you can understand why they still went for him because new manager comes in and he says, I, I, I want to I want to sign this player. He's left footed. He'll bring balance to the attack. I know him. Uh, he's going to get better. He's, he's a Brazil international. Every confidence he can do it in the Premier League. And they backed him on that. They, I mean, the irony is that when it looked like that Anthony wasn't going to happen and it did get to a point that United looked at Hakim Ziyech, who, of course, came to prominence under Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, and United vetoed that move. And the, the, they, they actually sought, for, sought feedback on Ziyech outside the club, speaking to people who dealt with him even though, of course, the manager had dealt with him very closely and pretty much made him the player he was at Ajax and the, that player who obviously was then transferred to Chelsea. And the feedback wasn't good. So that's why they railed against the prospect of Ziyech coming in, even though Ten Hag had identified him as an, as an alternative to Anthony if, if they didn't make any headway there. And then they did by you know, bankrolling a, a, a pretty big transfer. But I suppose his, his debut kind of set the tone in that he scored, but he wasn't particularly good. So you thought, well, you can't be too harsh on him because he has scored in his debut against Arsenal and United of one. But he's it's been a six out of ten season for him. He's you know, There is a lot of room for improvement there. And certainly in those January games against Palace and Arsenal, which were a big test of United that week in the... If they got four points from those games, you might have looked at them and thought, okay, there's, there, there, there could be a tilt at the title here. They didn't. They, I mean, there were two very flawed performances, but Anthony in both of them was really poor. And it, I, I don't think it was a coincidence that the following week, he's, there were more variations to his game. He was, he was operating more like Bukayo Saka should be, in that he's getting the ball in a position where he's driving straight towards goal more often than not against Palace he was just picking it up on the halfway line just running into a blind alley and the ball was going out for throwing or he was getting tackled or he was getting rattled uh, up against Tyrant Mitchell that evening and he he, he, had, he the, the potential is there I mean he's yeah, he's Brazilian he's, he's he's been taught well at Ajax Ten Hag is is an elite coach uh, it's, it's no mean thing for a coach like that and a club like United to invest as heavily as they have on you so you've got to have something going for you but you've also got there comes a point where you've got to be a lot lot more consistent and I thought his performance at the weekend was consistently good I mean Ten Hag said he killed Ben Godfrey which he did Godfrey should never have been playing there and and Anthony ensured that his afternoon ended after one half but he didn't get that goal and I mean I remember when when Pickford made the save from him when he had the curler towards the end of the half and he was looking at Godfrey as if to say, why the hell are you showing him in on his left foot? And everyone knows that's what he want, wanted to do when <laughs> Godfrey just had yeah, that bad game know, that he still allowed Anthony that gap where he could curl it towards the far post and, and Pickford read it as, as you'd expect him to. But the variations have got to come. Or if you're going to be predictable, be like I and Robin, you've, you've, you've got to be nigh on unstoppable and I don't think Anthony can get to that level of Robin because I don't think he's got the pace Robin what made him so unique was that you knew what he wanted to to do you knew what he was going to do and unless you were you know you had the speed of a greyhound you weren't going to stop him because he was so so quick he was so quick into his 30s as well 
he was a brilliant footballer, of course, but as an athlete as well, that took him clear of a lot of opponents and uh, it, it did it did most of the job for him. But Anthony doesn't have that pace. And again, that would have been my other reservation with United signing him as that left footer for the attack. If you're to come to the Premier League as one of the front three in a major team, you've ideally you've got to have pace and you've got to be a, a good goal scorer. When United signed Anthony, there was scant evidence that he was going to be a reliable goal scorer, and he certainly doesn't appear to have the requisite pace that someone like Saka has got or Mohamed Salah when when he arrived from from Roma at Liverpool in 2017. I, I suspect he will get better because I think he's on a he's on an upward curve. It's not exactly you know spiking at um, at the moment, but he's he's made reasonable progress over the last week. But he's still got a long way to go. Be like Iron Robin is easier said than done, isn't it? What a player he it was. I, I, saw a, I, see, I saw a two recently and you, you're talking about his condition and how much of an athlete he was, Samuel. Pretty sure he did a, a half marathon in something ridiculous, like one hour 15. Um, and I mean, I think he's into his 40s now, so it just shows even now he's, he's still smashing out the park. Just staying on Anthony, I mean, I think it's the same kind of gripes everyone has with Sancho. You kind of want to see your winger um, diversify the play and not be predictable take on the fullback and that's why Ganacho has been such a, a breath of fresh air for me when he gets that ball he drives to the byline he tries to make something happen um, it gets supporters on the edge of the seats and if I was a striker um, if I was Weghorst probably of the same standard actually probably the same quality as Weghorst I'll be banging my head against the wall watching Anthony go down the byline put the ball in the box cross it in um, he does need to change it up occasionally and that is the biggest frustration for me anyways personally but we'll leave it there for part three, Samuel, because we've got a bit of severe chat in part three. We'll be back in a moment. Is Sevilla your favourite place at the moment, Samuel? How many times have you been this season? It's uh, it's certainly one of my favourite places in Spain. It's probably a close <laughs> second behind Madrid, but it's 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 lovely. It's yeah, it, I I must admit. We hadn't even, I broke the rule, I suppose, of, of airplane conduct, but we hadn't even landed yet. But I managed to get signal uh, on my phone to, because I was quite eager to find out what the draw was coming back from Seville last time. And when I saw that we had, <laughs> the United had had, uh, had drawn the another team in Seville, I was certainly pretty delighted about that. I don't think any of us who were out there for the, the Betis game were, were disappointed to the, at United's draw. For the quarterfinals. There's definitely worse places to return to, isn't it? Definitely. I yeah. Mean, the first right. leg is at Old Trafford. You'll be in. You'll be there next week taking the trip to Spain. But obviously, the game's at home tomorrow night. Um, you've just kind of said it yourself. Samuel Sevilla really struggling this season. They sacked Jorge Sampioli. Uh, I think last month the 13th in the league, five points clear of the relegation zone. United have already defeated Barcelona and Real Betis in the competition. So, I mean, you're looking at this game and with Sevilla so inferior to, to Betis and Barcelona, you're thinking this should be a breach, shouldn't it, really? It should. And you look at Sevilla's squad, it's it's very underwhelming. Alex Tellers. Alex Tellers is great. I know. It's well, their, their golden era of recruitment has well and truly ended. And you wonder whether it ended when they decided to sign a couple of Manchester United players on loan which was inadvisable they, they they took Marshall on loan last season he only got one goal for them I think uh, Tellez uh, was I mean he was he was dreadful for United last season I know a lot of United players were dreadful last season but uh, Defender who can't defend was, uh, he was he was I mean he was 
he was offensively bad at times and that he just didn't really seem to seem to care a lot. He just seemed quite happy with his quota of games as long as he got in the Brazil squad and remarkably he does still get in the Brazil squad. So um, he, he must have something working for him. But I mean, Sevilla, normally when you draw them in the Europa League, it's a death knell. Uh, that's not the case anymore. West Ham knocked them out of the Europa League last season. But I suppose when, when it was brought up at Ten Hag's press conference today, he said how you know the fact that they've got this remarkably great record in the Europa League is cause enough to treat them with ample respect. And I think since the format changed in 2004-05, they have won it six times, which is a ridiculous number of times to, to have won the Europa League. I mean, nobody wants to be in the Europa League, but it seems like Sevilla do. And it does offer a, a shot at redemption for them this season in that they are 13th. They're not necessarily out of the woods as far as relegation uh, goes from La Liga, perish the thought, and you see Valencia are down there. They're in even worse situations. These are two pretty esteemed clubs, big clubs who you associate with being in the Champions League group stage and if you're old like me you, you remember Valencia actually getting to two successive Champions League finals at the start of the century so the pedigree of Sevilla shouldn't be discounted and of course if you win if you win the Europa League not only do you qualify for the Champions League you qualify as a as a seeded side as well so uh, all the incentives have, have been added to it to try and Give give the tournament some glamour to ensure that clubs are still engaged and and, and interested, and it, it does become a lot more interesting at this point. I think UEFA were lucky that with that playoff draw, they got United and Barcelona together, and it felt like the eyes of the world were on those games because it was two of the three biggest clubs in the world, and both of those matches didn't disappoint either. Particularly the first leg, I thought was a tremendous game, but it is United's good fortune that the further they've got in the competition. The more, even though they keep drawing Spanish teams, they are drawing worse Spanish sides. So, I'd, I'd still be, even though United have bad memories of of, of Sevilla from the Champions League uh, last sixteen in twenty eighteen, which was a defeat that really did signal the beginning of the end for Jose Mourinho. It felt like, and of course the Europa League semi final uh, a few years ago in Cologne, that that one off game where they went one nil up but lost two one, and that signalled another trophy of the season I would be pretty astonished if they didn't get past this severe side just because of the quality they've already shown the competition and uh, they've they've not really been complacent in these knockout rounds at all either they've not really been complacent since uh, Ten Hag's one it was the first and only time in the first few months of the season where he did rotate against Real Sociedad in the group stage game well he did make quite a few changes but then you looked at the team that night and Casemiro came into it, Ronaldo came into it, Harry Maguire, the club captain, came into it, uh, Christian Eriksen was still starting as well, Fred, Brazil international. It was not a weak team whatsoever and it's it's just one of those quirky results. It feels like it's almost as if people dismissed the defeat or, or blamed the defeat on the whole country. Uh, mourning the Queen and everything not feeling quite right. There, there wasn't a press conference afterwards. There wasn't a mix in afterwards. There was no media afterwards. It was, you know, it was it was something that was very, very surreal. I think even though we all obviously knew the event was going to happen, it was still very, very odd when it did. Just how certain news outlets dealt with it and how we we were, we would have liked some copy to go at, but unfortunately, United. <laughs> 
didn't have another game for a Thursday, uh, for, for a week, and that one was in Moldova, which obviously Ty was more than delighted to go and attend. It was a bit silly postponing those fixtures, wasn't it? But that, we've already yes. covered that um, on the podcast. I mean, you, you talked about obviously it would be a massive shock to see United go. I tell you what, Samuel, I was shocked when looking at Alex Tellers' transfer market yesterday for a piece I was doing. I actually must have erased from my memory how many games he played last season. You just touched upon it. Um, and then I looked at the well, end of the season. He played more than Luke still Shaw, playing. I think, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I, I did a piece on Alvaro Fernandez, and you you look at him, he was on the bench for, I think, three games in a row. Um, yeah. And you think, Ranjik should have given him his debut, really. He's an excellent yeah, at Preston. He, he was denied a debut at the end of the season. He should have been given one. Um, on the subject of fullbacks, then, we'll, we'll, we'll end the podcast on this, because I thought it was worth talking about Dalot and Wambasaka again. Um, but, I mean, Wambasaka started at the weekend. Dalot started the two games before that against Newcastle and Brentford. I'd still kind of regard Dalot as the first choice right back obviously his performances haven't been as good as the first half of the season but that's still the kind of vibe I get from Ten Hag but I thought this game against Everton as I said at the start I thought Everton would sit back and I thought Dallow's attacking quality would come to the fore and he'd be needed down the, down the flank yet when the teams were confirmed Wan-Bissaka started and I was scratching my head at that there seems to be no consistency or no pattern really at the moment at right back what have you made about that competition because it was once unlikely but it is a genuine competition between the pair now isn't it it is. I think it's probably the only position in the team that if you ask the United fan to name the strongest team back to front, be the only area where they would have to think a little over because the rest of the team, when everyone's at their optimum, it does pick itself. But it's difficult to actually decide at the moment, certainly going off form. I mean, Saka's had a, a few decent months and he, he has had some good performances there. He does look a lot more confident uh, well, I was going to say then in the first half of the season, but we we didn't really see him. I think he came on once against no. Liverpool, and that was it. The strange thing, as I've said before, is that he he has a very good understanding with Anthony. I think he brings out the best in Anthony, and Anthony brings out the best in him. And you would have thought Anthony and Diogo Dallo, two Portuguese speakers, they'd get on like a house on fire, and that would be a really good collaboration. And actually, they bicker quite a lot. Uh, I suppose with with Anthony, he doesn't speak a lot of English. Wamasaka barely speaks doesn't speak so maybe that's why they get on so well but they they do they do have a pretty good collaboration going on so chapeau to to both of them because it's it's an unlikely alliance but it's one that has come off for ten Hag and it does change from game to game as you say in that I I, I think I had Dallow down uh, as, as my uh, my, my personal pick at the weekend because I, I mean even against you, you Newcastle said, St James's Park Samuel I mean I thought Juan Bissaka would start Dalo got hooked at half time well, I think Juan Bissaka was unwell that day um, oh you're right he yeah, wasn't yeah, in yeah. the squad so I, I expect he would have started because Dalo did look extremely uncomfortable and something like that maybe that can change the pattern because then Dalo starts the next game because he's got a bit more rhythm and then Juan Bissaka's had an ample recovery time that Ten Hag decides well Diogo wasn't particularly uh, particularly good the other night, so I'll, I'll give you a go as well now. Um, but there's there's not as you said, there's not really been a consistency about it. I mean, Ten Hag was asked about it last week, and he said he said what everyone knows. He said that Bambisaka is the better defensive player, Dallo is the the better right back going forward. But they have both improved the opposite areas of their game. I think Dallo is is still the more complete and more rounded right back. Uh, I've been I think when Wan-Bissaka did finally start a game, he got the assist against Burnley for Christian Eriksen, where he just connected with that 
that ball to the far post and it went across goal and Ericsson had a tap in. But you would still expect Dallo to be a more natural attacking right back, although we've not really seen much evidence of that lately either. So uh, it has got to the point where it does feel like it's been a, a slump, a full-on slump from Dallo because it's it's been too long since he gave a, a genuinely good performance for United. You'd have to go back probably to November, maybe even October, uh, given that they had a few games at the start of November and I think he was suspended for the Fulham game uh, because Malassia played there and the previous games were against Villa in the league in the cup and they lost. That was they an interesting lost the league one. wasn't it? Yeah. Malassia yeah. Didn't I know, work. <laughs> I know. No, it, it certainly didn't work. So when you boil it down, Dallo has possibly had not even three good months this season, which sounds extremely harsh, but that, that might actually be the, 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 the factual aspect of it. But they, I'd still say they need to. They should be getting him tied down a new contract, and that's another. That's the subplot to it as well. Dallas approaching the final year of his contract. If you would still sell one of those two, you would still say Wan-Bissaka is the more sellable player. And I think, given that he's his reputation has recovered in recent months, you would you'd think in the summer he would be a sellable asset for United. I'd personally start Dallow tomorrow. Um, as far as a prediction goes, I'll probably not give an answer because I've gave up in the last few weeks. It's been chopping and changing. <laughs> I'll just give up. Um, but so we'll leave it there, Samuel. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Stephen. A pleasure as always. And thank you to listeners. Make sure to head across to YouTube. As usual, we are across there now. Take it along nicely with the subscribers and head to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any good audio platform to hear our amazing analysis. Isn't that right, Samuel? That's his top, top of the line. You couldn't have said it better than me. Exactly. So thank you very much. Take care. Bye now.